This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Happy to have you tonight. A lot going on around the county and around the world. And we've got a, a, a four-hander tonight. we got four gentlemen on the line, myself included, phrasing. Uh, I'm Matthew Bunch, and uh, joining with me tonight uh, in his first time on the podcast proper, uh, Joel Delgado. Joel, how you doing? Doing great. How you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Finally, happy to have you. Joel has done some writing for us on the website before. And, uh, you know, we have our, our our Magic City Soccer chat. That's always lively around this time of year. Uh, but good to actually get you on the show. Uh, a devotee of Miami FC uh, from many miles away. And so uh, we're very happy to have you on to talk about that and other matters. Uh, secondly, Lee Afens. Lee, how you doing, buddy? I'm Okay. Um, but you guys have got me up late. We've got to be up at four in the morning for this Jamaica versus uh, um, the, the Jamaica versus Columbia game. That's going to be, I don't know, even if we get, if this takes an hour, I'm still not going to get enough sleep. But other than that, <laughs> everything's, everything's, um, everything's just dandy. That's why you need your Colombian coffee in the morning. That'll, that'll help yes. you in two ways. Yes. Uh, lastly, Franco Caliz. Franco, how you doing? I'm I'm disappointed, man. I thought Joel was we were gonna do an unveiling like Messi's, you know. I thought we were we had hired Shakira for this, but but I guess not. All right. No, so, yeah, so, so, Franco. Sadly, the the uh, the unveiling was on um, Apple TV, so you missed it. Yeah, we don't have the rights to it, um, and I'd prefer not to get almost trampled again. Um, what one time was enough for the year. So um, let's start off with actually the event that's furthest away from Miami. Kind of unusual for us, but. Uh, I, I think it's, to me, it's the biggest story of the last few days and that's a, a last few days with a lot. Um, but it's the women's world cup, both in terms of the local angle being the U S women's national team, even though they're, you know, considering the diaspora we have here in South Florida, there are still some live teams. Uh, and I don't want to exclude them from this discussion, but I do want to start with the U S women's national team first, uh, suffering a shocking uh, exit from the tournament shocking in the sense that based on reputation and expectations uh shocking uh getting knocked out so early in the tournament but something that i think we had talked about as a possibility a couple weeks ago that other observers uh had commented on as a possibility is the team was kind of in an awkward position and ultimately in in the worst way possible a nil nil draw that comes down to penalties uh losing five four I think there's a lot to process, and so I don't want to uh, smother the conversation before we get started. So I'm just going to throw it up here and kind of hear what you guys have to think about about this national team. And let's hold off on the general tournament till right after, because I think there's a lot on a lot of meat on that bone as well. But for the U.S. women, um, and let's start with Lee because you're just going left to right. That's how I see it, Lee. From that game and for this team, what do you see? What do you feel? What are your conclusions that you're drawing? Yeah, it's. Um... I think this kind of opinion that everyone else has caught up, I think for me, that is probably the biggest thing that's in play here. Um, you know, the, the days where the, the the Americans and even, sorry to bring in another team, Matt, the Canadians, you know, they, they had such an advantage in a way um, because of the way that the sport was set up. I feel like that's being eaten into a little bit now with uh, the European teams getting a clue about women's soccer, European nations getting a clue about women's soccer. But I think that's part of it. But also teams go through transitions. You know, a lot of the old guard have sort of moved on. Um, you know, you have a lot of players that have gone, you know, Tobin Heath, um, Kristen Press, like just off the top of my head, these names that 
yeah, you've got great players coming through, but it's not easy to replace those sort of players, experienced players who know what a tournament's about and know how to win a tournament. Um, so I think it's disappointing. And, um, you know, it's a shame that it happened in the manner that it did. But uh, you can't win all the tournaments every time. And uh, it being all the way over there, down under, um, difficult for people to get behind it as well. I think there was a lot of things going against them. And uh, yeah, once the, once the group stage went away, it just made it so hard then in the knockout, even if they could have beaten Sweden. You look at the teams that are coming next. Um, yeah, I just think that it's uh, Flacco's on his way out and it's time, maybe it's time for some fresh ideas and that might help things. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I know that Franco is, is sitting on a Flatco bomb. And so I'm going to, I'm going to come to him. It seems like a good uh, transition. Franco, what what are your takeaways from this game? You know, I am, um, I rarely think that I know more than a manager because of the, the dedication and the time that they put in, but I think I knew more or, or how I would have been a better manager for this women's team when I was in high school than Blacko. Um, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand the selections that were made. Um, Andy, like Sullivan was, was clearly not ready to in any way, shape or form to run the midfield or to hold down that defensive pivot position. A bunch of players who were basically the same exact carbon copies of one another, the Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, right? Like I just, I don't Lynn Williams. Like I don't, I don't really understand what we were aiming for with some of the selections and then the injuries were a big role too. Um, and it seems like the, the thing is to me, it's twofold. One is Vladko's selections didn't make any sense. His tactical inflexibility, he learned nothing from the Olympics. Right. And then the other piece here was Mal Swanson, who had accounted for most of the U S goals. Didn't, didn't, uh, was out basically for the, was out the entire tournament. Uh, Macario was out. Sauerbrunn was out. Mewis was out. They're all probably starters in a normal U S team. So, those are four fairly important pieces, but it, and it seemed to me like some of the players were picked on reputation and what they had done before, not on form and not what they had done recently. I love Megan Rapino. I, I go to the high church of Megan Rapino. She was she she played terrible almost every single match. Her crosses were short. The penalty and we're not even going to discuss about, but she was woefully out of form. Shouldn't have been picked. There's a couple of other ones out there. The one thing that stands out to me, the back line was solid. That back line looked really really good throughout, but Vlaco. I don't know, man. I, just not changing the formation after various games where it failed. England did that, and it worked out for them when they changed the formation. But he wants to stick to his four-three-three. Failed miserably. Well, what's your takeaway for uh, from this tournament, from that game, and from this tournament for the U.S. women? I mean, you saw from the beginning there were signs. There were the cracks were there. You kind of saw it coming. Um, and then when they drew Sweden. In the group of 16, that, that, that's a tough match. That's a tough draw. And like Lee said, like the world is catching up and the uh, U.S. might need to make some adjustments. And maybe, like you said, a, a fresh uh, you know, look at leadership it could be in order going into the next uh, World Cup cycle. But um, I think it's going to time for some int- int- uh, some retrospective and to, time to take a look inside and, sh- and take a look at what what this what the direction of this program is going to go looking forward, because it definitely needs to you know, we definitely need to bring in some some new blood probably. And just to lose. I mean, it, it really is a game of millimeters, literally in this game. When you lose that close, that's going to leave a scar for a while and it's going to sting for a little bit. It's going to cause some 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 questions and some self-doubts too so we're going to see what you know what's going to come in the next uh, few weeks but um you know it's it's just it's a disappointing result but not one that i'm personally shocked by 
Yeah, I, I feel like I, I want to circle back and then try to hopefully stitch some stuff together, circle back to a couple of things I heard. The first is the injury question. And I, I think that interestingly for this tournament, we usually associate injuries heading into World Cups as a detriment to the tournament. Uh, and you never want injuries. Don't, let me be perfectly clear. But uh, there were so many names out of this tournament, not only for the U.S., but for other major teams. I do feel like it's almost been a leveler. And it has made this tournament a little bit more interesting because we see big teams struggling. Even when they're winning, they're struggling. This has been, not to get too far ahead, but a, a, a really compelling tournament, very few blowouts, um, you know, and, and some teams advance you wouldn't normally see. Now for the U.S., what, what I think is part of this is, I think we have as a fan base, as supporters uh, of this national team, there's there's a little bit of they have been so exceptional for the last decade that we kind of forget that the decade before everyone was starting to write the story about that oh the world is catching up uh you know 2003 disappointment 2007 disappointment 2011 you then see this young generation really make make a move uh again and then you know lose the heartbreaker to Japan but like they're not preordained to win the World Cup every time. You know, they are the most successful team um, in the women's game. But, you know, Germany loses in the men's World Cup sometimes. Brazil loses plenty. You know, the big teams lose. They they win and they lose. Uh, and they're, the, the other part of this, I think, that what everyone has hit on, which is undeniably true, is that the rest of the world is coming. Um, and and that's a good thing. And that's a credit to the U.S. women uh, you know, kind of humiliating the rest of the world, especially over the last decade, and they're tired of it, and rightfully so. Um, but I, I think that there is something, I, for, I forget who said it, but there's a cyclical nature to this. There's a lot of really good older players that have contributed unspeakably good things to this program, and, and they'll be remembered forever. And there are a lot of really good young players, and the 27-year-olds are not not really there. You know, we got, we got young and we got old and in that kind of middle ground is a little bit lacking. And, and yes, yeah, so you get, you get your ups and your downs. And I think we're seeing just a, an end of a generation and the next generation is there. I think there is good young talent there and it's going to be harder for them than it was for the last generation. And we would have been sitting on this podcast in 2008 uh, saying that, you know, this generation that's coming up for the U S women, it's going to be harder than it was for the class of 99. Um, I, I just think that, you know, everyone is writing the obituary of U.S. women's soccer. And I do think there are some legitimate problems in terms of the federation, in terms of approach. Absolutely. But I also I'm not one that's that's chicken littling and saying the sky is falling. They're never going to win again. No, they're going to be one of the teams that competes for the World Cup every single time it comes around. And other teams are going to win, too. And I think that's. It's, it's kind of unsatisfying because it's not, you know, there's not like, oh, if we just do this, this one little trick will help you win the Women's World Cup. I don't think it's that. I just think that th a lot of things conspired in this tournament to make it not the U.S.'s best effort. And I would say that I think the game against Sweden, honestly, it was probably their best game of the tournament. <laughs> they just lost it. That you could see that there was some, like... There was some there there. They were, you know, obviously the 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 finishing was not there, but you could see that okay, they maybe they were starting to put pieces together. They just ran out of time and lost penalties. That happens, you know, and and so now we have a very interesting tournament uh, to look at. And speaking of said tournament, we we head into the last two games 
of the quarters tomorrow. Lee, you mentioned Jamaica and Colombia, correct? Uh, and then yes. the last game is remind me the last game. My my brain is failing. France me. Morocco. Yes, France Morocco. The 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 uh, the uh, colony versus uh, uh, home nation matchup. We also saw in the men's tournament, right? Mm. Yeah. Did we? I that feels we like did. it was such a long time ago. I know, right? It was only like eight months ago, but it we're used to it being so far away. It just feels like, oh yeah, it's been two years. Did they not um, the semis? It was a semifinal, wasn't it? I think it was. It can can so I, I see Franco nodding. Um, yeah, I believe that was the semifinal. It's so it's such an unusual semifinal. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but no, I think it was. Um, so yeah, so you've got I think two pretty good games tomorrow. Morocco making the first appearance for an Arab nation in the, the the this stage of the tournament you've got i think two very exciting teams in jamaica and colombia facing off to go farther than either one of those nations has ever gone um i think a lot a lot of fun to watch let's uh, let's go to lee here what are your what are you looking at tomorrow or today if you're listening to it and um into the rest of the tournament well i guess um that's the thing but by the time this gets out i mean those games yeah i realized that as soon as i said it as soon as Um, it came out of my mouth i'm like oh wait a minute but having said that to bring it around to the local angle hey this is south florida when you're talking about jamaica versus colombia i mean who doesn't know a jamaican than the colombian if you live in uh in and around miami so um (laughs) so you know it it it, it, it does bring that little bit of a, you know, local flavor to it. And it's almost a shame that it is on at four o'clock in the morning Eastern. Um, I, th- I think I might make the second half of that one. But, you know, I think that is one of those things where these two teams, you, probably no one really gave them a chance to get out of the group stage. I mean, really, I mean, Jamaica needed a GoFundMe to get to the tournament. <laughs> um, and, you know, Colombia, they obviously they have this, what looks like to be a generational talent with uh, Linda Casado. Uh, but away from that, you think, well, you know, have they got enough to make an impression in the tournament? And, uh, you know, you don't knock out Germany from the group stages by accident. Um, so I think that that is probably going to be the game to watch. I think uh, France versus Morocco is might be another attack versus defence kind of game and France will prevail in the end. But I honestly don't know how to call that Jamaica Columbia game um and whatever happens i'm gonna piss off half the people i know <laughs> i kind i kind of hope that jamaica will do it um i think that that story is is great and i think that columbia team is probably gonna uh you know keep coming back to the world cup with some of the players they've got but uh yeah i think it's 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 a great thing to see some new teams and you know it's an expanded world cup it's the first time it's been 32 teams i think there were some concerns with that water down the quality of uh, the games, you know, but I don't think it's really happened. Been a couple of big score lines, but uh, you know, these two teams have got there on merit, and uh, I don't know. I can't separate them. I will not tell my wife that you picked Jamaica in this match. I will tell her to to skip this episode. Uh, <laughs> Joel, what do you see? What are you looking forward to either in this last set of quarterfinal games or for the tournament in general? You know, I'm still reeling from the U.S. loss. To, you know, I got <laughs> plugged back in. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to some, you know, some of these new uh, new faces. Some it's going to be someone new winning the World Cup this year. So it's going to be really exciting to see the you know the final uh, the final few matches and see who comes out on top and see like you know what the next stage. And then you got Brazil being knocked out, which is a huge shock too. And the end of Marta's run, uh, impressive career at the at the international level. So it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top. I mean, I got to get plugged more in there, but that's pretty much what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for for fun soccer at the end of the day. So. 
it is one of the liberating things when your team is knocked and and for the men's side, obviously we're much more familiar than, with this than the women, but when your team is knocked out, it does kind of let you reset almost and be like, okay, well now I'm into yes, this. Thank you, Matthew Bunch. Cause obviously as the Welshman on the podcast, having gone through <laughs> world cup after world cup, after world cup, after world cup, having to pull a team out of the hat. Uh, my heart bleeds for you going out both teams and groups in a round of 16. My heart bleeds for you all. Yeah. Sorry. We, we, we won't, we won't mention uh, the, the last uh, men's group Lee. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, for, for the men, we're a little bit more accustomed to them not being there or getting knocked out very early. But for the women, normally we're, it's just, you're dialed in on the women's national team the whole time. Now it's like, okay, well let's wash our, wash ourselves off, pick ourselves up and enjoy the rest of the, the show. Franco, what, what are you seeing? Speaking of the show, what are you seeing in this show? Um, Just the, the wild play. I mean, like the Nigerian team was really the one that I was enjoying watching quite a bit. Colombia's had a lot of flair as well. Um, Caicedo is going to be a household name eventually, at least in South in these, some of these South Florida homes, man. You don't actually have to be Colombian. If you're watching this stuff and you know Colombian, you're going to hear that name. She is yeah. fantastically fun to watch. Um, but the the player that I'm most looking forward to watching here is actually Alexia Puteas from uh, Spain. Uh, just love watching her. I've watched a couple of Champions League games um, when she's over in Europe. Um, watched her a little bit during the Euros. She's a great, great player. Uh, I wish I had a, an ounce of that level of talent. Um, so probably just watching watching her and watching that Spanish team, which I think is a real up and coming force um out in, in europe and seeing how far far along they'll make it I, I usually do not root for the spaniards but uh i quite like that that team so it'll it'll be interesting to see how far they can go they've got netherlands which is we we saw with the u.s is a pretty big challenge here yeah i gotta say the the way this bracket shakes out it's really interesting it, it kind of reminds me of, of the men's tournament uh last year where you it, the bracket is kind of unusual where you look at the top of the bracket here and you've got Spain against Netherlands in one of the quarterfinals and Japan and Sweden in the other quarterfinals. Those are four, you know, Japan, Japan has one in 2011. Uh, it's been a while for them, but they, they are a, a women's footballing nation. Sweden has a history with it. Uh, Netherlands uh, is, has, uh, you know, use the phrase up and coming Franco and Spain. I, I tell you what, I, I think they're my team of the tournament so far in terms of just being pretty, pretty damn solid and putting the ball in the back of the net. And then this bottom half, you have Australia and France in the quarterfinals, and then you're going to have England and, and either Colombia or Jamaica. I'm sorry, Australia and France or Morocco, and then uh, the Colombia and Jamaica facing off against England. England, you know, not super impressive against Nigeria. Nigeria putting on a, a really good effort and almost kind of stealing that at the end. Uh, France has been a little wobbly. Um, Australia started off a little wobbly, but you know got the 2-0 results all over Denmark. A good A good result for them. Someone's going to, you know, we're going to get a quarterfinal or a semifinal. I, I, I got to tell you, Lee, when, whenever I have two teams that I can't pick and it's real close, I always, I always look to who, who's the game breaker. Who's the, who's the best player. And I think that's why I, I uh, call me a Homer, call me. I'm sucking up to my Colombian wife. Uh, but I like Colombia to make a run here. I really do. And I, I, I mean that not just, not just some personal bias in terms of the the ability of the team and that game breaker um, that they have. I think Colombia can beat Jamaica. They could also lose. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's a, a slam dunk. I do think it's going to be a tough one. But I, I lean Colombia, and I think Colombia could beat England if they if given the shot. Um, you know what team no one's talked about though that I think is fascinating? The Australians. Yeah. The Australians just got Sam Kerr back. Yes. And they looked pretty darn good. They've got home field advantage. Yes. Could be a sneaky pick. 
I and, agree. I yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll jump in there as well because I was going to bring it back to Australia too. I I actually caught some of their game today, and uh, they they look comfortable. They look better than Denmark. And yeah. uh, like like Franco says, I mean, you, you need you need a, a player that can win you a game, and they've got that in not only in Sam Kerr, but with, you know in, in other departments of the field as well. Uh, Caitlin Ford who scored the goal. They've got that Haley Rasso, who's a fun player, like out on the wing as well. Um, I think that's a good call by Franco. I think that uh, it's so all these teams, you could probably make a case for them, you know, all of these teams at this point in the tournament. Um, but yeah, Australia home field advantage. That stadium was buzzing as well. So uh, yeah, that's uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's it's a real home field advantage. Uh, like, you know, not just not just hosting the game, but that that crowd is is really into it and really helping that team reach another level. And and they're they're a hell of a team. They're a good team. Um, I I, I th- this World Cup I feel is falling into, um, I think a rule of World Cups in general. It's another sign that the the women's World Cup is is reaching that stage as a tournament where it is starting to follow some of the rules that the men's cup has started to lay out maybe a couple of decades before when it's in an unusual time zone or an unusual location, it gets a little wonky. It gets a little unexpected. Uh, and I think we saw that in Qatar, um, uh, you know, obviously France and, and Ar- Argentina, not an unexpected final, but you saw kind of a few unexpected results. The uh, South Korea. Korea. The pan Korea was the big yeah, one. South Korea, 2002. Like that's the classic example. Um, you know, uh, it, it happens. And I think you're seeing this here. And I would not be surprised if you see a t- another big upset here in the knockout stage. If, you know, again, a Colombia goes through even that France Morocco game. Uh, France has been good, but but they have another level to get to that they can get to with Renard. But if they don't get there, um, they they could they could see the surprise and it could be Morocco making another run in this time in the women's cup. So there, there's just so much. It, it's a lot of fun. This is a fun, it's going to be a fun tournament. And yes, the, the U S national team is out of it now, but there's still a lot of storyline there. So let's pivot and let's go to uh, Franco. You're, you're wrapping the color. So I will pivot there. And, and we, we've talked, we talked plenty about the messy experience uh, a couple of weeks ago, but the, the game last night, First time the show leaves the confines of Dade County, heads to Dallas, and I, I tell you what, that is as it's it's the I know it's the League's Cup, but that's the MLSES damn game I've seen in a long time. That had Concacaf, that had MLS written all over it. Miami, enter Miami, score the first goal. Messi scores, and and some folks were sharing this on social media. The Alba to Messi goal that I believe was against Real Madrid at the end of the. Uh, at the end of the Classico a few years back, uh, carbon copy, um, score the first one, should have scored a second, wound up giving up three goals in a row to go down 3-1, and then make two two-goal comebacks, wind up winning in penalties. Um, Franco, uh, it, it's the, the show keeps going. That was one of the wildest games I've seen in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> two um, own goals, two own goals. Yeah, which like, I, felt re- goal. I felt terrible for uh, who was it? Robert Taylor, I think, when he like, yes. ran the length of the pitch trying to track back because neither Busquets nor Arroyo was doing their jobs correctly. Yeah. Ends up putting into his own net. That was brutal. Taylor uh, worked he, harder, not smarter on that one. Unfortunately, he worked the, very hard to score an own goal. The, well, but I mean, the other own goal on the other side of the pitch. It, I, I said I think I said this to a couple of folks. It looked like uh looked like you're playing FIFA and you press the wrong button, right? Like the defender just 
the most beautiful uh, header I've ever seen. Bullet oh, clinical. Absolutely head. clinical. Like, I, I, if you want to show young children, coaches at home, if you want your young players to learn how to head a ball in the back of the net, show them the own goal from the FC Dallas player last night. It, it was, he smashed it dead center. It was, it was a thing of beauty, except it was against his own team. I am. Um, what I can't get over though, is I thought obviously Messi's the greatest player we'll ever see in our lifetimes, probably. Right. But the thing that I cannot begin to comprehend is he had what, like three training sessions with his team has been here for like three or four weeks. It was a hundred some odd degrees yesterday in Dallas. Um, I thought he'd last like 60 minutes there. I thought it would be a little bit more like Orlando where they got really physical with him the whole time. The dude was being marked at times by four guys and he was still getting the passes off to Busquets and to others. Like I just, I, it's a level of, of class that is bewildering. I think to, to most of us, when you can surround a guy in a professional soccer match with four people, and he's still dribbling around them, going around in circles and finding the wide. Sometimes he would find the wide open player on the other side of the pitch with a perfect pass out of that. And I'm just staring at the TV like, how does how, where does he have more eyes than the rest of us? Like, I don't understand how he's finding people out here. Um, you know, I'll just say uh, it's the first time that I feel like I've seen my wife, her friends all. Like it is, it's starting to become that thing that I think is the, what I Inter Miami was dreaming of, where people are talking about this stuff day in and day out. It's it's really starting to permeate a lot of Latino radio down here, um, and it's starting to become a thing in a way that it feels a little LeBron Big Three esque. And I think that's 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 the goldmine if you're if you're MLS. I actually saw a thing earlier today. More people saw um, the first clip of Messi uh, scoring this this last goal uh, in tw- in about 12 hours than they saw most of than any uh, League One goal that he scored uh, in the first three and a half months uh, that those clips were up. So the, the revenue that MLS is getting, the visibility that he brings to this league, and then obviously what he's doing for our home team is just, it's incredible. And I hope it spurs a, a real growth in the game down here as well. Um, because that's really the, the thing for us at the local level is just what is he doing for kids out here to really motivate them to go out in this awful, awful, hot, stormy weather we're getting this summer um, to go out and practice and hopefully create a whole new generation of both soccer fans and soccer players as well. I think what's interesting about about this experience so far is how quickly, and obviously I know that like, in terms, I'm using my social media and like I follow a ton of soccer people, but people who I follow who are not soccer people are talking about a League's Cup match between FC Dallas and Inter Miami. You know, like it, it is notable. I, I follow this economist named Connor Sen, and um, he was talking about Messi and the impact of the league and all that. And obviously, like, you know, he's like a casual soccer fan. So he's, there are a few things where I'm like, no, that's not quite right. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's generating interest in, soccer at a time when MLS has has been around all this time. And this is the time where you can grab the attention of the American sports fan. It's there's no basketball. There's no hockey. Football is just getting started with preseason, you know, baseball. I love baseball and they're having a hell of a year. It's, 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 it's been an exciting year, but you know, 162 games, a lot of games, people need something else. You can fit in this slot here. And, and it, it, I feel like it is breaking through, 
a, a little bit more than what we would certainly expect for a tournament that's kind of just a made up tournament that has been slapped together. <laughs> um, you know, and and you know, it's 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 and it's very clear that Messi is and and obviously they've won every game they've played and he scored two goals in every game he started and he scored a goal in the game he came. So like obviously he has reason to be happy, but he looks happy. He looks engaged, you know, that when he scored the, the free kick goal, he's waving players back because they want to get the fifth and get it over with because they feel the momentum shifting. It's just really interesting to see that guy become such a clear leader for the team so quickly and everyone's bought in. And and also you, to the point where you're talking about youth development, Messi's great. Benha, Benha Kramaski coming in yesterday, being a absolute jolt of lightning scoring a key goal to kind of get the momentum turned back, scoring the winning penalty at 18 years old. I mean, our reaction in the chat was like, wait, where's Jordi Alba? Where is someone who's like done this before? And, but it is that kind of rule where sometimes in, in those moments, you want someone who's been there a thousand times or has never been there at all before because they don't know any better. You don't want someone who's done it once or twice. You want someone who has so much experience they could do it with their eyes closed or just is too dumb to know. And I don't mean dumb in the, if Ben is listening. I don't mean you're dumb. I mean, you know, what do you know about that kind of pressure? And he just smashes it and, 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 and wins. It was a really interesting, fun experience because they, they actually had to chase a game and it worked. And again, everything seems to be working. And you get the moment on the free kick, which is just remarkable. I mean, it's just it, what a terrifying experience as an opposing player to know. If you foul any Inter-Miami player within spinning distance of the box, it becomes a 50-50. You know, it, it, like, those are not supposed to be like that. But he's just, he's a special player. Um, Joel, um, it, it was quite an experience last night. You, you were not on our last episode regarding this. What are you taking away from this, seeing the the messy carnival uh, kind of take flight? So I have a unique perspective because I'm in Nashville right now. And even yeah. the Nashville Facebook, like Nashville C Facebook group chat, it's half messy posts. Like people are just everywhere. Like he has sucked the energy out of the room in MLS. And it's it's a game changer. And like you you were wondering, yeah, is he going to take this seriously? What 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 kind of shape is he? Gonna, is he going to be able to come in here and go, and be the messy that we all know and 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 love? And it's clear that he is. I mean, he is just on another level. And MLS defenses are having a hard time. We've only seen he's already the leading scorer on the team after four games. It's insane. We've played 16 MLS regular season games, and in four games, Messi's already leading the team in goals scored. It is amazing. And like you said, it was the most MLS game you can possibly have asked for. Like two own goals, two Messi goals, like two two-goal comebacks, and then PKs at the end. Like it's it's insane. It's a circus. And it's and, and I mean that in the best possible way. It's a lot of fun. And look, I, I you guys know me. I have my inter-Miami misgivings, but it's fun to watch, and it's a night and day team. July 21st will forever be known as the day, like, that'll be pre-Messi and post-Messi. And this is going to, it's going to be interesting to see how, like, things develop, especially as we get into MLS play. I don't know. It's probably too big of a hole to get out of, but this is the best chance that Inter-Miami has to get a cup this year is either through the League's Cup, and they're three wins away there, or they're two wins away from the Open Cup. And it's going to be very interesting to see, but it's it's been a, it's a lot of fun seeing Messi here, I think. And you saw it, FC Dallas, like and during the game, you hear chants of Messi in the stands and people are just, it's going to be like that everywhere. It's almost going to be 
uh, a home game for Inter. It's going to be that was the first taste we got of what it's going to look like on away days for Inter Miami, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun thing to watch going forward. So, Lee, I'm I'm going to chum the water here for you a little bit because I do want to talk about that crowd last night, and I think that for the league, there there is a a teeny tiny problem in this. And Franco, it's something you shared in the chat. And I think it's worth pointing out. And I want to see what other teams are going to do with this going forward. Um, the fact that FC Dallas really did not go out of its way at all to account for its own supporters group in this tournament and essentially opened up tickets as a free for all, um, because this is not MLS uh, inter Miami. The league's cup is not part of the season ticket package. It is its own separate thing. And Inter-Miami, wisely, financially at least, uh, did not, you know, made a very passing effort to sell League's Cup tickets in May. And it was like, okay, we'll see you guys later. And then Messi came and, hey, we're back. You want to buy them now? Um, And FC Dallas uh, made a a killing on its tickets for this match. Um, But it created a very unusual environment. And when you're looking at financial concern versus competitive advantage in hosting a game, um, Lee, uh, what, what, what do you take away from that? Um, in terms of kind of the, the, what teams are kind of making the financial decision versus the competitive decision? Well, first of all, you correctly identify that these, uh, these aren't league goals. So unfortunately these goals don't go on the NL Messi's goal scoring record. Um, so let's hope he doesn't burn through these goals too quickly. <laughs> well, um, they, they since... go on his, his record, but they don't go on his MLS record. Oh, they don't get counted as if you look, it's hate to be the bearer of bad news. But you know, if if you do look on someone's Wikipedia page, those kind of like friendly tournaments, they don't get counted. So only continental goals, which is not an official continental tournament, because the whole continent isn't involved. Um, it's not a domestic cup game, so it's not counted on that front, and it's not a league game, so they're not counted there. So they're very nice friendly goals, but sadly officially don't count. Um, but to move on to your point of um, of the effect it has on the other teams, we know this very well in Miami because, of course, before Inter Miami showed up, you would go to a Miami FC game, and if there was a Venezuelan player playing on the opposite team, a Venezuelan national team player or something like that, and even we've had it recently, now that we don't have a Cuban player on the team, we've had uh, a couple of ex-Cuban players come back, Dario Suarez came back, and sometimes those little pockets can make more noise than the actual people mm-hmm. who have turned up to show the game. So I think some of the MLS clubs might be a bit wary about that. And if they just let in the people who paid the most money, it's going to exacerbate that as well. Um, I don't know the falls ins and outs of what you mentioned, Matt, about the supporters group. Um, but if uh, people who have stuck with fairly middle of the road or you know smaller MLS teams uh, are going to get pushed out a little bit when this guy comes to down. I think that's a bit of a shame. But uh, I, think, you, I mean, you're talking about a massive net gain anyway, aren't you? I mean, you never know that there might be some people who come to check out Messi playing your team and then you might only get 5% of those people back, but that's better than nothing. So I think that, you know, as long as long they do a good job and say, well, you know, now you can come back with a $5 ticket to see us play the Vancouver Whitecaps next weekend and that sort of thing. I think if you're cute about it, you can kind of still get a positive out of it. But uh, 
I mean, who are we kidding? It's a net gain. If 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 the stadiums are going to be full all over the MLS because of this guy, and some of the stadiums are pretty big as well, um, then you know it's going to be a good thing. So, yeah, I think as long as some teams will be able to, to to make the most of a negative, turn that negative into a positive, it's not easy to do, but it can be done. Joel, go ahead. I'm chime in there because it's kind of similar in the Florida Panthers games when you have Montreal Canadiens fans like basically flooding the arena on Christmas around Christmas time and like it's going to be like that for for our away games when and like you said Lee like it's it's going to be probably a net positive because you're going to get people that are going to you know obviously they're going to upcharge that game and people are going to get interested in it but then like for most teams you're going to go revert back to the average ticket price it's going to be interesting to see what the market does in Miami South Florida where, I mean, I've just checked this afternoon looking at StubHub or Ticketmaster, and the cheapest ticket you can find for an Inter-Miami game is $130 probably without fees in like the standing room only section. And it's going to be interesting to see if people are going to be willing to pay those prices for how long. And is this going to go into next year as well? Like, it's going to be interesting to see who can afford to go to these games. And are you going to price out the, the hardcore Inter-Miami fans who have been going to, the, to these games for the last three years when they didn't have Messi? Uh, where does this leave some of them uh, who aren't season ticket holders? And we'll have to figure out how to navigate. And it's going to be an interesting dynamic because away team, like, you know, everybody else in MLS, you're going to have that one game where you have Messi coming to town, but then it's back to normal. This is going to be perpetually here in Inter Miami for the next few years. And it's going to be fun, but it's also going to be kind of a LeBron effect as well. Franco, you were the one that brought this situation to my attention. And, and it is the first game, um, you know, instead of, the you know the the eighth game tenth game teams will sort this out a little bit but you were the one that brought it to my attention I, I think it does present an interesting uh conundrum uh what, what do you take away from it well on the tell you know back to lee's point and just so folks know lee is now actively bragging about the fact that yes in fact this is not officially count as uh, as appearances and goals for for messi so everything you've seen uh, of messi and inter miami uh shirt so far has never happened we've all dreamt it um, <laughs> it's been a lovely little preview of what's to come i can't <laughs> i can't dispute that um but what i what so circling to this point a couple of things here to keep in one one and to keep in mind one um on telecast they said that dallas average ticket price is 40 dollars. the lowest one for this one was 400 dollars. so you're 10xing every ticket in the stadium I mean, you know, it, it, it's and particularly some of the, the small to medium markets, Dallas is one of them that doesn't normally sell out, has problems filling their stadiums. So if if you're one of those, yeah, I can see why you take advantage of it. Pricing out the supporter group sucks and they don't have a good relationship in the first place with their supporter group. So this is a place where and, and, and full credit, by the way, to the to enter Miami on this, their supporter groups have actually negotiated so that all of them have allocations for their for their um, for the League Cup matches um, I've, I belong to Siege, so Nico, Gabriel, Ryan, Asher, all those folks, uh, thank you for the work you guys do, because frankly, uh, you are better than, than a lot of the actual customer service people that I've worked with in my life. Uh, so, so thank you guys for the work you're putting in over for Siege. Um, Inter-Miami actually has allocation for, for, for these. Obviously, Inter is a slightly different scenario because we're going to get to see him every single, once a month at least, right? We're going to get to see him quite often in the stadium. I would expect that this will not be the normal thing, though, especially for when you're playing in larger markets, New York, L.A., some of these, are, you know, when you're looking at Cincinnati, St. Louis, some of the, the, the fan bases that are packing those stadiums, I imagine you're going to 
you're, you're going to have good relationships. But if you're a small market team, I specifically I'm thinking of like a San Jose or something like that, right? Montreal. I would I would do the same thing because it's it's helping to to make sure that your community projects that your youth academies are going to be funded. It's a huge boon. So I get it. It's unfortunate for us as fans, but I kind of get it if you're in a smaller market. I wish it didn't happen. I think it sucks that you're you're basically selling out your stadium to the messy stands, and it's very unlikely you're going to be able to get your your uh, consistent performance from or consistent turnout from from these fans, but. It's also, I think, how you grow the game a little bit is if that's what it takes to get people into the stadium, if that's what it gets to, to get people into a professional environment, soccer environment, it's also a boon for, for the game on the whole. Yeah, I, I oh, go ahead, Joel, and then I'll, I, I've got my point, but go ahead, you go first. It's going to be a boon for, I mean, you're going to see a whole generation of kids being able to watch Messi. It's going to be kind of like in the 70s when he had Pelé come to NESL and inspire a whole generation of American players that grew up to become like the generation that we saw in the 90s and early 2000s. So, I mean, this is definitely going to have long lasting effects, the, the messy like experience for the next however many years he's going to be here in the States. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you take advantage of it where you can and uh, you try to harness it. And I think Apple TV, I and mean, we have made a point about this, like you saw the 11 million uh, interactions on the play and the clip. And that's the power. I mean, that's the one thing I think some of these European leagues did not have. They, they geo, the geo locking, they weren't able to really promote the messy experience and really harness what the talent that they had uh, when they had it. And it's, that's the interesting thing about what Apple is able to do is they're not constrained by that. They have a product that you can buy and yes, it's behind a paywall, but it's potentially reaching a larger uh, worldwide uh, market. So it's going to be interesting to see how Apple is going to use this. It's going to, and also leverage this into maybe getting deals with other leagues around the world. So, I mean, that's going to, that's a big component of, there's so many aspects. You could go in different directions here, but that's going to be interesting to watch in the next couple of years. I would say my one note of worry, and you, you kind of bring it up, Joel, um, is the idea when we look back at the NASL of the seventies, which was driven by superstar talent. When the talent's not there, the whole thing collapses. Uh, and it does have an impact on the sport. On, on, it did, unquestionably so. But the MLS was specifically created with the goal in mind of not having that happen. Some would argue to its detriment at this point <laughs> with its salary cap and with everything else that it has going on, that it is so afraid of that that you know collapse of the, of the late 70s, early 80s, that, that they're, they can't get out of their own way. Um, but that is my one concern going to Franco's point where the clubs that are going to do this, the clubs that are most likely to do this are the clubs that have to short-term, but long-term probably shouldn't, right? The clubs that should do this are the clubs that can afford to, for one time, to go to their supporters groups that they have a good relationship with and say, hey, look, guys, we're going to be able to get $2 million for to expand our youth outreach can you bite the bullet on this one? Can you, you know, kind of enter yourself in with the general pool? You know, they're not going to because they're well run and they have good relationships, but that is the club where you could, you know, if you have a good relationship to, to go and try to talk with them, the clubs that are trying to build out into the community and to use and to leverage supporters groups, you're going to go to them and screw them. Like it, it's just going to make those relationships even worse. And we have seen in MLS, the clubs that succeed are the clubs that have the most robust relationships with their supporters groups and, and create identities through those supporters groups, through those, those walls, you know, on, on, on the end line. And so I, I do worry that the, the clubs that are kind of the routine, you know, the, the Houston's, the Dallas's, the, 
you know, the, the, the teams that don't, don't always get the shine as being, you know, great for like fan experience. They're the ones that are most likely to cash in because they have to, but there, it is a shame because there, it could be done better. And I feel like it is a penny wise pound foolish approach. That is my one concern for the league is that, and, and sometimes MLS more than sometimes MLS can be a bit penny wise and a bit pound foolish. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on how, uh, traveling for inter Miami kind of, we, we see what, what teams decide to do, but let's bring it back closest to Dade County and let's talk about Miami FC. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden things got very interesting. We talked two weeks ago, it started to get a little bit interesting. Now it's a lot interesting because mm-hmm. they've gone on a run and, and, and I think we have moved past the dead cat bounce, uh, territory into, Hey, something's cooking here. Hey, this looks like a team that actually has gotten a couple pieces put together, gotten, you know, some, some good opposition to play against to build some momentum. And now you can see a pathway to the playoffs. Um, Joel, uh, you know, we know that Miami FC, Joel and Lee, you are Miami FC, uh, you bleed, uh, the blue and the orange. Um, and so Joel, it is your first time on the show. I'll start with you. What are you seeing from this team? What do you see in the last few weeks, this change? And, and do you think it can carry on? So I was there at the San Antonio game. I actually got to go. Um, I used to work for the San Antonio Scorpions, a little bit of my background back way back in the day under their mm-hmm. first year back in 2012. Never got to see that stadium built. So I got I flew out there to watch the Miami FC game against San Antonio. And like something something was unique about that game. I mean, you go down a man, you go up early, and then Paco gets a really garbage double second yellow card that gets him kicked out of the game. And everyone on the, you can kind of see it on the replay. It was just a terrible call. And it's, you know, typically you're like, you're going to that. I, I went to that game, honestly, thinking San Antonio was going to give it like, just completely run over this team. And especially when going a man down, you're just waiting for it to come, waiting for it to come. But this team really held together. And, you know, from the beginning, this team has got a lot of talent. You got guys up front like Kyle Murphy and Michael Salazar who can score goals. You got speed on the outside with Mark Segbers on, like, you know, on the wing. You got Gabriel Cabral, who's now finally, after having the first two months out because of injury, in there and really being like a spark plug. And, you know, we, we heard, you know, whispers of it at the beginning of the season, what he did with FC Tormenta last year when he helped lead them to a USL one championship. And you're starting to see it all come together under Lewis Neal. I think they needed to make that change at the top. And Lewis Neal comes in here, those first two games they lose. But then now we're on a three-game winning streak here. And that game against El Paso last week shows that it's not a fluke. I mean, those are four really good goals that have, that uh, Miami scored. That was one of the best first halves I've seen this team play in a long, long time. And you got Christian Sordo that, you know, assisting on both of those goals. You got, uh, you know, Joaquin Rivas finally starting to live up to his potential a little bit there. So, um, and this is big game coming up against Indy 11. So I, I think it's sustainable. You see it coming together. It's like that scene in back to the future when Marty's trying to start the car at the end, trying to get back to 1985 and like it's starting and then he hits the, the, you know, the, 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 the horn and it finally turns on. That's what it feels like right now. The things are starting to click at the right time and they can make a deep run kind of like what they did last year. It just, you know, it just depends on if this team can keep things going. And I think they can. Okay, before I throw the lead, I just have one question, Joel. Were you working with San Antonio when they made the trade with the strikers for Walter Restrepo for hotel rooms? Oh, no, that was after I left. That was after you? Okay, because I, damn, 
Yes. Oh, yeah. There's so many weird San Antonio Scorpion stories. Like we can go back <laughs> into the into the annals of NASL history here with the the mascot and like the firing Alan Marcina in the, in the airport, and obviously now he's now in San Antonio. Led them to a championship last year. So there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff. But I love the fan base in San Antonio, and they're they're really great. They were really passionate, fired up crowd. So it was it was a fun atmosphere to be there. That's a good soccer town, and and that Restrepo story is one of my favorite. South Florida soccer stories of all time. Um, we'll we'll have to explore that at some point. I know it's Broward with the strikers, but the strikers are like uh, adopted date. I feel like we can we can share we'll, them. We'll, we'll get Kartik on the uh, podcast at some point, and here we'll yes. have all the ins and outs of that Restrepo deal. Yes. <laughs> so Lee, what are you seeing from Miami FC? You got to be giddy as can be. You know what? It's more relief if I'm honest with you, Matt, um, because I think. I was very pessimistic about stuff, you know, a couple of months ago, whatever. And honestly, if, you, if you'd have challenged me to put money down on a Miami FC playoff appearance, I'm sorry to say I may have been reluctant to part with my money. Um, 4-0 at home. I mean, we haven't had a, a night like that in a while. And I was there. Um, and there was there was just a little bit of magic, and you can feel that when you're at a game. It doesn't matter what game it is. If it's a game, if it's a team that you support or whatever, there was a belief there. And I think before with um, Pulis, sometimes he was a bit too passive when he was coaching. It was difficult to see him react to situations, and I think sometimes he was locked in on the system will work. We just keep playing it and playing it and playing it for the ninety minutes. And when it was apparent it wasn't working, there wasn't enough changes. It looked way more positive. And, it, you know, that's the second game now I've seen down there with Lewis at the helm. And the ball moves a little bit quicker. There's a few more risks being taken in key areas. You know, um, we're trying to cross the half space and get into the penalty area. I don't, We didn't really do that under Pulis. We're taking shots at goal. We didn't really do that under Pulis. This is basic stuff. And, you know, once the confidence comes back in, it's funny how quickly things can turn around. And now being eighth place in the table, which is, you know, a spot in the playoffs, is a massive psychological boost. And knowing that we have ninth in the table coming um, this weekend, um, you know, it's a chance to sort of um, double down on that. Good old six-pointer in uh, British football parlance. Because, you know, you, you win that game and uh, and you take further strides away from that ninth place that you don't want to end up in. Um, looking down at the, uh, you know, the, the fixtures now until the end of the season, our running isn't that bad. I'm looking at it now on uh, on the sofa score. I'm not a paper motor. Um, and, you know, we've got Hartford a couple of times. They're bottom of, um, of the East. Uh, you know, we do have to play Pittsburgh and Charleston, but one of those games is at home. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I th- I think that we we might get in now, but there's a belief there. We're moving the ball better. We're more positive in the final third. Um, and I think, yeah, some of the individual performances, Cabral's game on Saturday was fantastic. Like he was he was everywhere. And and as Joel said, they've they've turned this guy up from USL one. Um, the South Georgia Tormentor, who one of my favorite um, lower league USL franchises, down to the massive scary pelican on their badge, um, <laughs> and uh, and you know it's just it's I always say it, it's a simple sport. It's about confidence and it's about putting the right pieces in the right place, and uh, confidence breeds confidence. And um, I th- I really do hope that the the first half of this season is now 
history. And I know you said, Matt, about this dead cat bounce. The cat is not dead. The cat is very much alive. The cat still has (laughs) some of its nine lives left. Um, I don't know how many lives we have left, but there's still a couple in the bank. So, um, yeah, I think we might be all right. Um, But it's just a lot of fun. We've talked about it on this podcast even about going to watch Messi play in in, in, in Miami Jersey is fun. These teams where Messi is visiting, for them it's fun. The last couple of times I've been back down there, I've walked out of the sand going, you know what, I really enjoyed that. And I might have enjoyed it if it was 2-2 on Saturday instead of 4-0. I probably still would have come out and gone, ah, you know what, I still enjoyed that. So uh, long may it continue. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's something nice happening there for a, a nice change, which is nice. <laughs> I think that's really... it. It goes... I guess it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't care. Um, if your team is winning or losing, you know, that's part of, of sport. You're going to, it's a cliche. You win some, you lose some, hmm. but God, it's so dire when your team is not fun to watch. And boy, the whole, I mean, both teams pretty much from the same exact point, hmm. neither one of these teams was fun to watch for months. They were not, you know, inner Miami got off to a pretty good start. And then just from about, April 15th on just, just not fun. Just no, nothing there. Just nothing happening. And, and obviously Messi changes the dynamic dynamic for them. And in Miami FC with the, the change in, at the, in leadership, um, they're both fun and, and you'll take your losses with your wins. If there is fun and joy and so, at least some belief that you see some progress. That's all. I mean, Fans are not, you know, if you're a fan of of a giant team that has huge expectations, the U.S. Women's National Team, um, you know, that's different and you always expect to win. But for most sports fans, you give us a a, a belief that there's some improvement and you can win some games, a couple on the bounce maybe, and and beat teams you're supposed to beat. That's enough, you know. You just don't want to be kicked in the head because that's not fun. It's not fun getting kicked in the head. And these were two teams that were getting kicked in the head over and over again. And now it's now they're they've they've come alive and it's it's just fun to watch. And Franco, you're seeing keep an eye on both teams, you know, a bit more of a focus on inner, but you have an eye on both. It's just it's it's a fun few weeks down here. Yeah, I uh I'll say that Lee stole my I'm looking at the fixtures and seeing what, what the route here for is for Miami FC. Some tough some tough games still ahead, including that Pittsburgh game and that, that Tampa Bay Rowdies game that's coming up in a couple of weeks, I think on the 26th. Um, no, yeah, look, I'll just say as an Inter fan, I was, season started pretty decently, and then injuries. Just, <laughs> I don't know what that training staff was allowing to happen for a while there, but <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Matt was actually the next uh, CDM that we were going to try to <laughs> got to help us. <laughs> uh, it was it was getting it was down to the bare bones out there, but I was going to jump um, in there. I play football with Matt, and you know he's actually I was, bad. he's not actually he's got a good touch. He uses the ball sensibly. You could do worse with Matt at CDM. When so, so you're I was just going to say, Lee has down. seen me play. No one wants to see that again. Lee is far too kind. Far too. So you're kind. saying you might Sorry. actually get the starting ahead of Arroyo for next game. I hear you. But uh, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> but no, it's 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 exciting, and it's you know, it's um, I think as a sports fan, you you watch a lot of crap, a lot of crap, and you put up for a couple of special moments, whether that's. Uh, a 97th minute uh, equalizer, which unfortunately went against <laughs> Miami SC last match, right? Hmm. Um, or whether you, or whether you're, you're looking at one of these messy free kicks that feels 
scripted by some Hollywood writer or somebody. I mean, literally, it just you it, you couldn't write those endings. You you wait for those moments of magic because that's the reason you watch these things. The reason we're all watching the Women's World Cup at ungodly hours, uh, you know, is because you 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 stay up to watch the Caicedo goal. You stay up to watch what piece of brilliance Marta might be able to come up with, or will Sam Kerr end up delivering on the goods? Like those 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 are the things you do in. Both teams have that potential right now in spades. I mean, Inter Miami potentially can make the playoffs, and they're in dead last in their in their in their conference, right? Like it's it's a moment of hope, and that's really all you can ask for is hope and some entertainment at the same time. It's a great time to be a South Florida sports fan, and and that's in in and Matt, you you referred to this earlier as well. The fact that literally every single one of our teams, bar the Dolphins, even God can only go so far with them. But but every single South Florida sports team has just over-delivered in the last six months. I mean, NBA finals, NHL finals, the Marlins are doing well. It's a great time to be a South Florida sports fan. I would actually say the Dolphins are not the team to pick on there. I think the Miami Hurricanes football team is the one to pick on there as a supporter. They they are the ones that under deliver. But yeah, it's I been, didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to lower the you know the, I, the sadness of for for everybody. I respect. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll I'll do it myself. I'll uh, I'll kick kick my own behind on that one. Um, but yeah, it's been. It's just. It's very strange. It's very strange for for a, a region where honestly Miami FC for a good chunk of the last half decade, uh, but I mean, but the heat, the, the heat are in a different class, but in terms of like, you know, the, the, the other teams, Miami see are the best in town. They were the ones competing for stuff and re- making the playoffs consistently. And, you know, and obviously facing outside challenges, but they, besides that, the Marlins have been dreadful forever. Um, you know, I guess the 2020 playoffs aside, but in the dolphins are always disappointing. The Panthers are the Panthers. Sorry, Omar. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, everyone has seemed to get in their act in order and it's very strange and, and very fun and very fun. So, um, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm unrelated, but I'm an Orioles fan. So it's a very happy time for me too, on the baseball front. Uh, and, and again, the Orioles to me are the classic example, um, of, uh, they have been horrible for seven years. And now they're the number one seed in the AL East. Why do you watch these games? You watch these games because no matter how bad your team is, you always have the hope that it can turn around. And it is the the, the mediocrity that is sometimes baked into American sport uh, where everyone kind of has a chance at it. Um, sometimes we complain about that, but that is the joy where you can be be bunk for a long time. But if, if you got the goods and you put it together and you get into the dance, everyone's got a shot. Um, and I think that's, we don't often associate that with soccer. Soccer is so much, there are three teams that can win or two teams that can win. And everyone else is kind of playing for third or fourth or fifth or whatever. The one good thing or the bad thing, whatever you want to say of it in American soccer, that is not the case. Every, almost everyone has something to believe in, even if you're bottom of the table halfway through the season and a Miami FC are kind of showing that, uh, uh, this season and, and long may it continue. I think to quote from Lee earlier. Well, if you if you if you had enough of the Hurricanes football, there's the ladies Hurricane soccer that's starting back up, and it is um, indeed good segue. Yeah, they play. Um, they, they had a preseason game against uh, UCF um, on Sunday. They got another one um, against um, somewhere over in Fort Myers. But then their first competitive game um, is a, I, well, I don't know what this logo is, but I think it's is it the, is it the Stetsons because it looks like a hat. It is. It is the Stetson Hatters. Okay. Yes, it so was founded by the man who made the hats. So, 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 so we've got that coming back, and there's actually um, 
in literally a month's time is the old um, Miami Hurricanes um, FIU Lady Soccer matchup um, yes. on, on Thursday, September the 7th. And uh, I, I went to that game last year. I guess they switch it between the venues every year. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's, you know, well, I, in I, that I case, like... let me just say, let the Lady Panthers destroy the Lady Hurricanes for that one game, for that one. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Um, but no, it's that's always a, sp- a great game. It's always got some spice to it, and, and the FIU men's soccer program is exceptional. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is definitely worth mentioning, and, and you know, we will get into uh, the college game in, in due time. But yeah, it's it's ramping up. You know, it's there. There's always something going on, and and uh, that is definitely. I would encourage folks if if you have not been out um, to get yourself out to uh, um, Coral Gables. We're gonna play FIU on the twentieth. And again, if you want to schlep up to uh, uh, Florida Gulf Coast or Stetson in the next couple of weeks, you can do that as well. Uh, I'm very glad that we've introduced Lee to the Stetson Hatters this evening. Actually, to be fair, those both those little stadiums are quite nice places to watch the game. Like Cobb Stadium at UM is a nice little place to watch a game in the evening. And to be fair to FIU Soccer Stadium, the little baby stadium there, that's uh, they've got this nice little hedge kind of shrubbery thing going on at the front of the stand. Um, I love stuff like that, and they've got a big tree. You can try if shot. It's goes- the Wrigley Field of uh, of soccer stadiums. <laughs> Aaron shot can go into the tree. There's all manner of, uh, of of bountiful things down there. So yeah, ladies, and Cobb ladies, Stadium it might be on- as old as Wrigley Field. Honestly, it probably is. Yeah. Rickety- <laughs> <laughs> Cobb Stadium is a hop, skip, and jump from Titanic. So that's always one of the great underrated venues in all of South Florida sports. Is is Cobb Stadium? That's a that's a really good time. So. Uh, we will we will have plenty to talk about uh, on that front soon. But uh, any other business, gentlemen, before we uh, bring this thing in for a landing tonight? I think so. I don't think so either. Down in Miami this weekend. I'll be there for F- uh, Miami FC Indy 11. So I hope to see you guys. Ooh, there. good for you. Here's All right, my so- proxy because I can't go because I'm taking oh, a well-earned vacation. I know. So, yeah, um, you get to be me for a day, which um, yeah. in equal measures is wonderful and terrifying for you. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to step into your shoes. Those are big shoes. <laughs> yeah, big shoes. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Uh so uh all right, gentlemen, thank you as always. Franco, thank you very much, pal. Joel, excellent debut performance. Thank you for jumping <laughs> on with us. It's a pleasure. I hope I didn't uh, you know, crap the bed too much. I hope you guys will have me back sometime. So absolutely no, for sure. You uh, better know, boss. So you've been promoted. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if the bar is Omar, it's not high, but but definitely, you know, rookie of the year candidate here. And Lee fans, Lee, thank you so much, pal. All righty. My pleasure as always. And for those three gentlemen, I've been Matthew Bunch. And until next time, go Miami FC, go enter Miami, go a good women's world cup and go Miami soccer. Go to bed and get up early to watch it.